Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support us on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Uh, Go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. We're going to go ahead in a moment and get into today's episode of The Silent Men. I do have a bit of a content advisory before we get started. In this episode, a term is used which in its original context, as is stated in the episode, referred to Mexican uh, citizens who illegally crossed the border into the United States. This has since evolved into being a racial slur. Listener discretion is advised. That said, we're going to uh, begin today's episode of The Silent Men. The series was preempted on December 30th, so the original air date on today's episode is January 6, 1952, and the title is Visas for Sale. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. The international boundaries dividing the United States from Canada and Mexico are eternal monuments to the truth that nations can live side by side in peace and brotherhood. Not one fortress, not one pillbox stands guard over the treasures that are America. But there are people who mistake trust and goodwill for weakness, and who, for profit and with criminal intent, would violate the immigration laws governing our borders. Of special concern to the Department of Labor in Washington was the existence of a group of criminals whose specialty was the smuggling of aliens and undesirables into this country through Mexico. To help smash this ring, an undercover agent was assigned to the Los Angeles Division. In tonight's story, I will assume his identity. Special Agent Pete Bradford, in a file case entitled Visas for Sale, in which only the names and places are fictional. In Los Angeles, the chief put me in touch with a Mr. Louis Martinez, an undercover man for the Mexican government who was working on the same problem. We were driving down the California coast to San Diego, where Martinez would leave me while he went on to Mexicali. Uh, Just like the postcards say, orange trees, oil wells, and the Pacific Ocean. See, we are leaving the ocean for a while. I know a shortcut through the hills. It will save much time. You were born in Mexico, Martinez? Si, in Punta Prieta. (laughs) That's the middle of nowhere. (laughs) We seem to be in the middle of nowhere right now. Not a house in sight. That's right. And that is why it is sometimes used by them. Them? Si, the dealers in human contraband. Ah. I have a deep hatred for them, senor. It's a personal thing with me. Hey, that that guy ahead there, he's flagging us down. Uh, 
there's a state trooper. What's the trouble? You fellas will have to wait here a while. We're expecting an ambulance. An accident? That looks more like murder. A couple of wetbacks. That is what they call the Mexican nationals who try to skip across the border. Yes, I know. Uh, I would like to see them, please. All right, officer. Pretty messy thing to look at. I'm used to it. It's in my line of business. Huh? Undertaking? <laughs> Not exactly. No. Special agent, federal government. Yeah, well, sure. Come on if you want to. It's around the curve here. Yeah. So many of them are found like this. Yeah, they come across by the hundreds. They know they'll be caught and shipped back, but they come anyway. See? Ten, fifteen times some of them have tried. Pobre uh, soldados. Pretty, huh? Lovely. How did it happen? I don't know for sure. It's a job for the lab men. Yeah, you see those bits of cement on their clothes? Hmm. That's concrete. Not paving asphalt. Yeah, that's what makes it hard to figure. Hey, tell me, who reported this, huh? No one. I was cruising around when I saw it. These men have been dead a long time. And nobody reported it? Who was to report? Another wetback? Or a motorist taking this stretch at 70 miles an hour? Gee, one woman was run over half a dozen times before she was removed. These men fell or were pushed off some height. Mm-hmm, it looks like it. It might have been one of those big freight trucks they sometimes ride on top of the van. We'd better move on, Martinez. I'll get a report on this in San Diego. Can we get through, officer? We're on government business. Yeah, sure. Working on something special in San Diego? Nice breeze coming in off the ocean, isn't there? <laughs> That's what I like about you federal boys. Ask a question and what do you get? Nothing. <laughs> drove in silence for a while. The tight lines round Martinez's mouth showed how deeply he was disturbed. I tried to engage him in conversation. Martinez! Uh, senor? I want to go over my briefing with you, see if I've missed anything. Now, the outfit we're trying to crack works out of San Diego, right? Well, we believe the American headquarters are in San Diego, see. But we have found nothing to prove that. They drop the wetbacks long before they reach the city. Uh -huh. And when they are picked up, they will not talk. That's uh, part of the bargain. And the only suspect in San Diego is this Sam Johnson, eh? He's the traffic supervisor for the Bailey Trucking Company. And their trucks have carried wetbacks. But he himself has never been implicated? No, nothing is proved. But he is only a link, amigo. The, the real power, the brains are supplied by somebody else. And that is who we want. Why do they do it, these countrymen of yours? Surely they know yeah, that they... they are poor people. So they save a few pesos and come north for the more abundant life. I have seen men who have walked for a week to get to the border. The syndicate takes their money and they are gotten across the line, and when it's convenient, they are dumped dead or alive. It makes no difference. You'll call me in San Diego when you need me, won't you? See, si. And it will be soon. The pieces are assembled, amigo. Soon we will find the means of making them fall into place. We reached San Diego and Martinez dropped me off at the El Centro Hotel. I spent the next few days getting all the background I could on the smuggling operation. I questioned a busload of Mexican nationals who were being shipped back to Mexico from Los Angeles. They told me nothing. Just shrugged their shoulders and smiled. Only their eyes showed their disappointment. I hung around the Bailey Trucking Company and saw the big trucks come in with their loads from Yuma and points east. Nothing out of the ordinary. I shadowed Sam Johnson for two days, and that led me nowhere. 
Once I slipped into a seat next to him in a crowded little restaurant. Busy spot. Yeah, food's crummy, too. How's this town for work? Looking for a job? Yeah. What kind of work you do? Oh, anything to do with cars, mechanic, chauffeur, truck driver. You don't look like no truck driver. And you don't talk like one. Give me a chance to prove it and I will. Sorry, bud. Don't know of a thing. My usefulness, as far as Sam Johnson was concerned, was at an end. I spent the next couple of days waiting for a call from Martinez. In between waits, I fed the pigeons in the Plaza de Panama. I'd been in San Diego a week when I got a call from Mexicali. Bradford? Yeah. That you, Louis? See. Si. Take the bus and come to Mexicali as soon as possible. What's up? I will tell you when you arrive. This is it? See, si, hermano Bradford. I think this is it. <laughs> It was early evening when the bus reached Calexico. I checked through the U.S. Customs there, and they gave me the usual friendly advice to keep away from the taverns on the side streets. The Mexican Customs officer directed me to the El Cortez, where Martina told me he was staying. I found him in the hotel bar, sipping a drink. He barely glanced at me when I sat down next to him on a stool. Do not talk to me now. Order a drink, and when you finish it, come up to my room, huh? Number 302. 302. Take your time. Right. Adios. Bartender, glass of tequila. Phew. That tequila. Must be the fuel they use in rockets. Three months, amigo. Three months I have waited. And last night it came. The break that we are waiting for. Good. What is it? The wetbacks would never have led us to the head of the syndicate, but now, now it is our good fortune. Come on, let's hear it. On the bus last night from Tijuana, a European refugee. I've taken him into custody. No legal entry papers? No, no. Good, good. What would you learn from him? Uh, he will not talk. We must make him. He can lead us to the man we are looking for. You think he was trying to jump the border? He had American money. $200 bills sewed into the lining of his coat. Payoff money. Where is he? On the guard in the home of one of our customs officials. I did not want him seen, so I took him there. Well, let's go and talk to him. Ah, you must go yourself. You see, we must not be seen together because I am known to be a government man. Yes, you're right. This European will lead us to him. What makes you so sure? The money. With the Europeans, they deal in hundreds of dollars. Very likely he'll uh, buy a forged passport and visa when he reaches his destination. This will bring him in contact with the top. I hope you're right. Where can I find him? At the home of Joseph Salvatore. Uh, that's the first big white house in La Posta. I give you a note to him. I showed Senor Salvatore the note and he led me to a room at the back of the house. He put a key in the lock and turned it. Inside, slumped on a chair near the bed, sat a man of about um, 45. He wore a 1923 model American-style suit. He raised his clouded eyes to mine and stared at me for a moment. The senor closed the door behind me. I'm told by Mr. Martinez that you speak English. Yeah. My name is Pete Bradford. I'm a special agent for the United States government. I have committed no crime. I have hurt no one. You gave your name as Stanley Michael Mosier. That is correct? Yeah. Where was your last place of residence? My home was in Prague. Czechoslovakia. Now I do not know. Where was your destination? 
Where were you going from Mexicali? This I do not answer. Were you trying to get across to San Diego? Do with me what you will. I cannot answer questions that, that will implicate others. You had 200 American dollars. Where did you get them? You have relatives in the States? Well, yeah. No. No, I have nobody. Mr. Mosher, let me give you some idea of what you're up against. If we find that you do have relatives in the United States, they face prosecution. And if this relative should happen to be a refugee like yourself, it could mean deportation for him. Deportation? No, no. And I assure you that we have means of finding him. It may take some time, but we'll find him. Please, I have done nothing wrong. Is it criminal to look for a home? A place to live, to die? What once was my home is now prison for me. If I return, death waits for me. You should have followed the due processes of the law. You don't understand. I wouldn't have lived that long. I spoke against the government. America is everything you want? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yet you chose to enter it in such a way that would violate its laws. And you chose to deal with a type of vicious criminal who make America what it should not be. I was desperate. You thought you were buying freedom. But you were buying fear instead, a lifetime of fear, the fear of exposure. Is that what you wanted? No. These people you were dealing with, who are they? No, I cannot tell you. I, I promise. Then we will find them without you. Somebody has been helping you, sending you American money. When we find them, they will face prosecution. No, no, please. Then help us. Tell us what we want to know. Oh, I have no choice. You have near relatives in the USA? Yes, a sister in Portland. She made these arrangements for you? No, no. In Marseille, I learned that a boat would take me to America for $500. And I cabled my sister. She sent the money to me. What was the name of the boat? The Round Eagle was a freighter. Go on. And we went through the canal, the Panama Canal. After this, I was transferred to a fishing boat. It was the Isthmus. And they put me ashore at Ensenada and... I came here by the motor bus. What were you supposed to do when you got here? To contact a man in, in Mexicali who will get me to San Diego. His name? Uh, Migrini. Pedro Migrini. I was to give to him the $200 American money and, and he will take me to San Diego. And that was your final destination? Well, there for $500 more, a man would give me a visa and... Then I would be free to go where I pleased. This man's name in San Diego? I don't know. I was to be taken to him. Well, what about the money for the passport? Do you have that? No, no. My sister left for me in a, in a pawn shop in San Diego. I have the ticket for it. Dr. Mosher. Yes, sir. Would you mind standing up? No, I don't understand. But... Now, now turn around. Are you okay? No, 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 no. I'm not going to hurt you. No. Huh. Same bill, same height. Now, take off your coat. They have already searched. I want to try it on. All right. There. Well, it fits. Now, your trousers. No, but... but you and I are trading clothes. Uh, your shirt and tie, too, please. Well, gladly, but I do not understand This what... man, McGreeny, does... Does he know what you uh, look like? Well, perhaps a general description, that is all. Then I shall call on him. And my name will be Stanley Michael Mosier. You will take my place? No, but the way you talk, they, they will know. They are dangerous people, and they will kill you. <laughs> they will not kill me. 
The accent isn't perfect, but it'll have to do. This is our one big chance, and we've got to take it. Oh, no, but that, that cannot work. It'll have to work. I'll be back tomorrow for a little coaching. Oh, yes. One more thing. Yes, what? Your shoes. Oh, who ever heard of yellow shoes? It was late, and I walked through the streets practicing Mosher's version of the English language. Luckily, the night clerk at El Cortez was dozing behind his desk, and I slipped upstairs unnoticed. I knocked on Martinez's door. Who is that? Mr. Mosher. Stanley Mosher. What in the name of... Bradford? <laughs> Come on in. My home was in Prague. Beautiful Prague. The city of music and laughter. Then suddenly she died. Like a beautiful woman in her prime, she died. <laughs> In that accent, I don't know, but that suit, that's very good. <laughs> What's the idea? I'm taking Mosher's identity. It's going to lead us right to Mr. Big in San Diego. Hey, that's most dangerous. If they find out... My first contact is here in Mexicali. A Pedro Migrini. You know him? Si, si. We know Senor Migrini. We have been watching him. Mosher was to give him the $200. And so? Migrini gets me across the border. Then I'm transferred over to someone else who takes me to Mr. Question Mark in San Diego. Yeah. You do not have his name, eh? No, no. Mosher was to bring him $500 that he has waiting for him in San Diego to buy a phony passport and a visa. Amigo, we've got to consider this plan carefully. The risks are great. We'll go over the whole thing tomorrow. Right now, I could... I could use some sleep. <sighs> Louis, if you hear me mumbling in my sleep, don't be frightened. I'll just be practicing my accent. Mm. You had better, amigo. <laughs> I spent most of the next day with Dr. Mosher. I repeated words after him till I was satisfied that I was reasonably close. He briefed me on the details of his life, and I committed them to memory, knowing that some minute scrap of what he told me could either cost me or save me my life. It was eight o'clock when I got back to the hotel. Martinez was waiting for me. Everything is all right? Good. Good. Now, where does Don Migrini live? One mile on the highway to Tocati. Uh -huh. You turn left on the first road, then it's another mile to the hacienda. You want to take the car? Uh, it wouldn't look too good, no. no. I'll walk. All right. I've uh, arranged cover for you. Well, don't make it too good or it'll tip him. Make sure he's a smart operator. Yeah. The best. Hey, you carry a gun? No. Then, amigo, be careful, Mucho careful, Senor Louis. Senor Migrini was pleased to see me, mainly on account of the $200 I handed him. He made a phone call and told me I'd be picked up in about an hour. It was almost 10 o'clock when I heard a car pull up. There was a polite exchange of goodbyes and I went outside. An old sedan was waiting for me. The driver wheeled it to the highway and headed west. About four miles out, he stopped near some big boulders. He blinked his lights and five Mexican men, obviously wetbacks, climbed into the car. One of the men got into the front seat with me and the car moved away. Suddenly, the man next to me gave me a poke in the ribs. I looked at him closely. Martinez! See, I promise you good cover. You're satisfied? Uh-huh. After that brief exchange, we lapsed into silence. We turned north up a mountain trail, and the car rattled bravely on. 
That car must have been part mountain goat the way it took those climbs. About an hour later, we passed through Hakumba. We went north about another mile, and the driver stopped. He motioned us out of the car and herded us up a hill and down the other side. Then he pointed to a clump of bushes and left us. Martinez whispered to me that we were in United States territory. We waited there for about two, 20 minutes. Then a truck pulled up to the side of the road. The driver got out and opened the back door to the van. Okay, you guys, on the double. A big load today. I can't take you all inside. Three inside, two on top of the truck. Hurry up. I, I beg your pardon. Yeah, what? Who are you? Uh, Moser. Dr. Moser. Keep your mouth shut. We've been expecting you. You get the grade A treatment. Get in the cab with me. All set, let's go, huh? Hey, 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 you two guys climbing on top of do I leave you here? Well, that's dangerous, is it not? There's a railing on top you can hang on to. Uh, one more can sit in front with us? Oh, no, nothing doing. Yes. Truck is big, but that cab is small. All right, you guys, you getting up there? Yes, sir, we go. Yes, sir, What's been keeping you, Moshe? We expected you a week ago. <laughs> Ensenada. It was a beautiful place. <laughs> beautiful senoritas, huh? Yeah, yeah. This is big truck. We have none like this in my country. Just got it broken in. Yeah. She'll do 80 on an open stretch no. with a full load, too, yeah? yeah? 13 feet, 6 inches high. <laughs> That's the limit. Scrapes bottom on some of these underpasses. <laughs> So it's men on top, there is uh, danger? Oh, it's all part of the game. They'll ride anyways. Yeah. Now it's getting tough to operate now. They even got the feds down here now trying to stop us. Huh? I'm going to stop at this filling station and call in. I'll just be a minute. I got out to ask Martinez if he was all right. He motioned me away. I sat down and waited. The driver came back on the run. <laughs> got to get off the highway and... Dump these wetbacks. Immigration patrol got the whole country staked out and they're heading this way. I told Johnson, I'll turn off here. You, you go too fast. Those men on top. Ah, that's just too bad. For ten bucks ahead, look what I gotta go through. Hey, look out your window. Anyone following us? Lights, they are, they are turning now. Oh, they're after us. Gotta get away far enough to dump those men. There's a bridge ahead of us. It's... It's too low for the truck. Oh, we'll clear it by six inches. But the men on top, they'll be killed. I can't stop. Then slow down. Let me warn them. We gotta keep going. Two on top. Jump quick. Please. Get back in here. You wanna get yourself killed? Jump off. Jump off. Ah! In a bump. Must have got that top railing. Kills oh. oh, uh, That car chasing us. It stopped. Take a look. It stopped. Examine the bodies. Murder. Well, you told them to jump, didn't you? They jumped. They're all right. Saved my skin, too, you telling them to get off. I did not think that life here in America was so cheap. Oh, forget it, chum. That's the first thing you got to learn. Keep your mouth shut and forget. I am sick. I said forget it. Or will it take a bullet? I can oblige. Now, if I can make this fire road, I can get rid of those wetbacks. The driver let the wetbacks out of the truck and told them to beat it through the hills, then hid the truck until morning. 
When dawn broke, he maneuvered the truck out of its nest and we headed for the city. We took a roundabout route through the Moreno Reservoir and up to Hamul and reached San Diego about nine o'clock. Near the outskirts of the city, he stopped. A few minutes later, a car pulled up behind us and a man got out. He came over to the truck and put his head in the window. It was Sam Johnson, the man I'd asked for a job a few days ago. He looked me over carefully. Is him? Yeah. I had a bad time last night. The law pretty near got me. I'm going to ask for more money. This guy, he reminds me of someone. Hey, have I seen you before? He was perhaps sometimes in Prague? Uh, maybe he just looked like someone I know. Oh, sure, he's as fresh as they come. Look at his clothes. All right, come on. Johnson drove me to the pawn shop where I picked up the $500 Mosher's sister had left for him. I counted it, memorizing some of the serial numbers while I did so. Johnson kept trying to figure out who I reminded him of. Lucky for me, he didn't have the answer by the time he parked the car in a lot downtown. It's in this building. Go up to the fourth floor, office 412. You are not coming? No. I'll wait for you here. The gentleman's name who will give me the visa. Never mind names. Just go up there. You'll be looked after. Well, what are you waiting for? I'm nervous. Strange city. Strange country. You will not come with me, huh? Nah. We don't work like that. Yeah. Make it snappy. I got to get back to work. Very well. I go. The elevator whisked me up to the fourth floor and I opened the door of number 412. The door told me I was entering the Acme shopping service. There was no one in the outer office. The door to an inside office opened and a smartly dressed woman in her late 40s stood there smiling at me. Come in. I uh, I was to see a gentleman... Come inside, uh, Dr. Stanley Mosier. Oh, yeah. You are the lady who... Yes, I have your visa. Sit down. Thank you. You have the money. Yeah, yeah, it is here. $500. What are your immediate plans, doctor? To rejoin my sister. Of course. Later, we can arrange for you to buy a medical practice. Oh, I'm not licensed and my status here is... We'll get around that, you may be sure. The papers. May I have some, please? There's something about you, doctor, that puzzles me. Well, here's your passport, all in order. Even to the government stamp under your photograph. This is the one I mean. This photograph. Stay out of there. No. I'll take that gun. You are... Special agent, federal government. And I am under arrest. Decidedly. This is the way it happened. I thought... <laughs> Seems so ridiculously matter-of-fact. Come on, ma'am. May I... Fix my face. I'll just be a moment. Sorry, that doctor's a phony. I just remembered. Drop that gun. What's the about? His shot missed me, but mine didn't. It was a well-organized outfit. It had only one big weakness. It was dealing in crime. Making profit out of human misery. At least ten people faced major convictions. From my end, the thing was all wrapped up. I made some last-minute reports, and then, then I went to visit a sick friend in one of the hospitals, a guy who'd been badly bruised by a fall off a speeding truck, Louis Martini. 
Hi, Louie. Hey, amigo. <laughs> Pull up a chair, huh? Hey, no more accent. <laughs> no, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, what are you drawing? Oh, that's a sketch for an electric sign. Oh. I used to do that kind of work before I decided to become a hero at half day. <laughs> well, looks pretty good. So do you, Louie. Hey, gracias. Oh, uh, uh, that other fellow on top of the truck with me, he didn't get hurt at all. Oh, swell. Huh? And if it hadn't been for a certain amigo who risked his life to warn her. All right, all right, all right. Never mind that stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, gotta leave now. Plane's leaving in an hour. Si. Adios, hermano Bradford. Adios, amigo. And a good year. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. This adventure in illegal entry closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you the story involving large-scale diamond smuggling in the file case entitled Little White Lies, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Douglas Fairbanks will shortly present Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emmeline Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the Silent Men. Welcome back. Well, the scene on the truck where they're trying to throw the Mexicans off shows a great uh, lack of respect for the value of human life, which Fairbanks is a character called out. It reminded me a little bit in, of uh, one of probably the more shocking scenes we've heard uh, in this podcast in uh, the Lux Radio presentation of To the Ends of the Earth starring Dick Powell, where narcotics runners uh, threw 100 people off uh, into the ocean in order to make a getaway. You can understand how our hero's a counterpart in Mexico might have a personal stake, even though that's never really explored as to what exactly that is. I also deal a bit with the complexity of the issue with the guy who fled from Europe. And Fairbanks' character, you know, kind of pushes back on him on uh, his making this decision to enter the country illegally. And the guy, you know, fires back, you know, if I followed the process, uh, I'd be killed by the government before I actually got a chance to enter. So it is a very complex issue, and this kind of just shows how 
This is exploited without really offering any easy answers to problems that in many ways persist to this day. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And I received uh, this email from Daniel, uh, who uh, writes in, Greetings, I enjoy your podcast, particularly the videos, about which could you put on more detective movies rather than the TV series you're currently showing? Uh, my f votes are for those. Uh, yours, uh, etc. And I wrote back to Daniel, there were a couple, there was one big thing I did emphasize, which is, um, you know, with public domain video theater, we like, you know, if a series, you know, kind of ties into, you know, one of the six programs we're doing in some way. And, you know, right now we're doing Federal Men, which, you know, kind of mirrors what uh, was being done on the Silent Men in terms of the type of series that is. And we're doing Man with a Camera, which, uh, you know, I think probably owes some of its existence to Casey Crime Photographer. Uh, so, not really a movie series that goes with that. We've, you know, played the Dick Tracy series recently. We played a Flash Casey movie. And uh, we're going to have another movie probably in September. But mostly we're going to be doing uh, TV episodes. And even beyond the issue of having something that ties in, there are other challenges with uh, movies. And, and I thought about some more after I sent the email that there are not a lot of really good detective movies that have gotten into the public domain. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some classics in there. Uh, DOA, which I absolutely love. He Walked by Night, which we're going to play before we get into doing Dragnet. And then there are some fun ones like uh, Nancy Drew Reporter. But then after that, you get into, I think, the bulk of detective films that have come into the public domain. For that to happen, uh, the film's copyright wasn't renewed, which often means that it was produced by a low-budget filmmaker that went out of business. And so it's often, all right, we've got this really obscure 1930s actor in a film full of obscure 1930s actor. We're not dealing with uh, Cream of the Crop. Now, with television, of course, you do have a similar situation, but particularly in the 1950s, it was possible, just because television was so new, to put out a really good product, but ultimately not to be able to sustain success in television. You have, you know, companies go out of business. So I think that the quality of the average, you know, public domain TV show is probably better than the average public domain uh, detective movie. Of course, there are plenty of exceptions both ways. But right now, that's the status quo. Though that could change. I hope it will, because uh, films that were renewed are starting to have their copyrights expire. For two decades, from uh, 1998 on through 2018, the public domain was frozen. Uh, but now it's rolling forward again, with the apparent term set that if a film had its copyright renewed, uh, it has copyright good for 95 years, which means on year 96, it's in the public domain. So right now, any film made in 1925 it would be in the public domain. I don't consider myself uh, competent enough to do silent films, which 
is all that's entered in as a result of that. But we're going to start getting to the point where we have some interesting talkies expiring. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, you know, not too long ago, I was thinking, wow, films in not, from 1925 are now in the public domain. In nine years, the Thin Man uh, movie, the original Nick Charles Thin Man movie, is going to enter the public domain. So when we start seeing a lot of those good and pretty good films enter the public domain, I think my focus for video theater, you know, if I'm still doing it, you know, as the years go by, I think the focus will definitely move more towards the movies just because we're starting to get higher quality movies. And we're not going to see, you know, really any uh, television detective shows of note that aren't in the public domain start entering it, you know, until like 2051 or something like that. 2050, yeah, probably not at a point where I would bet on uh, me continuing to do this or people caring that I'm doing this. But at any rate, thank you so much for the question. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Mike, Patreon supporter since July of 2015, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Mike. And that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for an episode of Public Domain Video Theater. And it's actually a really suspenseful episode of Man with a Camera. I think you'll enjoy it. And then on Monday, we'll be back with Casey Crime Photographer. And then next Saturday, another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.